the further we go into what are these tools, what can they do for us, what can we do with them, as we define this, this type of technology and start to explore it and interact with it, we're also at the same time simultaneously defining what it means to be human. Prompted AI is useless without us. It's like a guitar. It looks nice maybe sitting over there hanging on the wall, but until someone picks it up and interacts with it, it's not really useful for its greatest purpose. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 296 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Ethan Butte to the show. Ethan is the chief evangelist for BombBomb, a video message platform that helps you build relationships by adding a human touch to email and text. Now, Ethan joined me all the way back in episode 219 for a conversation. And today we're going to continue to dive in and explore together what I view as an ever increasing strategic role that video communication will play in the age of AI to empower you, dear listeners, so that you can continue to maximize growth in the age of AI at your bank, at your credit union, or at your FinTech. Welcome back to the show, Ethan. It is good to share time with you again. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. It was this one was precipitated by like some really good back and forth on LinkedIn. And you're like, we need to talk about this. I'm like, yes, we do. So I'm excited to be back. We do need to talk about this. And before we get too deep into that, um, I want to just pull back a bit. Um, the last time that you and I connected, and I, you know, I always like to start the show off on a positive note, you were about to take a five-week sabbatical. What did you learn through this experience here? I think the single biggest takeaway was that uh, not doing, I'm air quoting for people who aren't watching video, like not doing air quote productive work. Like I always felt like I was wasting time. Um, I spent a lot of time by myself. I spent a lot of time in reflection. I did spend a ton of time with family and friends as well. But I got very comfortable not doing anything in particular, which was really hard for me. I would imagine it's hard for you too. It's something that has stuck with me a bit since. You you never have any idea uh, how much you need that. You have yeah. it, it doesn't feel right for people who are highly productive. Uh, and I generally, I think I would put myself in that camp. Uh, and so that was probably the single biggest thing. And I'm not, I don't think I'm quite at midlife yet, but I'm glad that I had that experience and learned that in a very uh, memorable and real way earlier rather than later. Because I don't think any of us is going to be on our deathbed saying, you know what, I wish I had done three more things. It's interesting. You're talking about this idea of doing, doing work. My mind has been curious about this. I think we attach a lot of our identity to what we do. However, as we continue to journey into this age of AI, 
I'm encouraging people to really consider detaching from the doing to spend some time reviewing what they have done, to reflect on that as you did, to learn through those experiences, and then to think about how to do even better going forward into the future with new capabilities. And I think, you know, if we look ahead to 2030, capabilities that we can't even perceive at the present moment in time, and all of this is being driven from what transpired on October 30th, 2022. The world entered into a new phase. AI essentially reached mass consciousness on that date with the launch of chat GPT. Where have you been in reflection now back to that point? Because as of recording, it is maybe three, four months post uh, launch of chat GPT. And we've already gone from chat GPT 3.5 or three to 3.54. Um, what are you seeing, thinking, maybe even feeling right now in the present moment? Yeah, I think, uh, at a high level, a couple initial thoughts, and I like the way you set that up. Uh, it's really around the further we go into what are these tools, what can they do for us? What can we do with them? As we define this, this type of technology and start to explore it and interact with it, we're also at the same time simultaneously defining what it means to be human and what mm. we're really good at, what remains unique to us. I think there's certainly a lot of fear at this intersection because we're perhaps giving too much imagination or too much credit to the machine and or diminishing our own strengths. And I'll just tie this back to uh, this idea of not doing anything this idea of just being is a thing, right? We are human beings, and I know that's a little bit trite to say, but when I think about, and I'm speaking a little bit specifically to your audience, if they think that they are winning through relationship, relationship is key to my success, then we need to be very conscious about the simple fact that a relationship is what you and I are doing right now. It's two people being present with one another to understand each other and perhaps to be of some service and value to one another. And that requires being, right? Just being present, active listening, engagement, et cetera. And so I would put that in the camp of a unique human strength. Uh, and I think as we offload some of our work, there are some cautions and we can get into the nuances around that, what to offload to the machine, what to keep to ourselves, what to do with the output as it, as it is even with GPT-4 and how much work it might need before it becomes productive and reflective of you and your, your brand, your philosophy, et cetera, taking care to see the upside of who you are as a human being in terms of delivering value in your product or service experience. I agree with you, and I don't think it's trite at all to pause for a moment and really contemplate the differences between being a human doer and a human being. Um, this was a conversation that I recently had uh, with Chuck Allen, and we were talking about this. Um, I, I think we might have forgotten some of what it means to be a human being, and we're having an opportunity to come back and essentially reconnect with ourselves as individuals, as leaders, and then when you're doing that with your team, you're gaining a whole new perspective because there are new things that we could offload, elevate to the quote unquote machines. Um, and that creates new growth opportunities, things that 
you know, we maybe we have lost uh, because we have been so busy, quote unquote, doing work. But you make a very good point about perspective um, and even fear. Uh, if and I think specifically through the lens of financial services, risk adverse industry naturally. If we fear the exponential change, the exponential transformations that have happened are happening, will continue to happen, we might miss those opportunities. And I do believe it is a matter of perspective because I think about whenever I have talked with financial brand leaders, well, what's your take on chat GPT? And they typically respond, oh, well, I hear it's getting outlawed and banned in school districts, so it must be bad. And I go, interesting. Um, do you mind if I provide you with another perspective? And it comes back to what you and I, what you mentioned here, it's the dialogue, it's the discourse, it's the discussion, it's the conversation. And through that, that is how we make connections. And that is essentially the backbone of trust. And I think we, we must consider, particularly with where we're at right now in a perceived quote unquote banking crisis, it is a communication crisis that is resulting in a confidence crisis because trust comes back to what you say, what you do, how you have these conversations, the mediums of which we have these conversations. That's the differentiator, I think, from even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, which is not that long. And that is requiring us to almost rewire neural networks um, to establish, maintain, gain trust. How is trust transforming in this new age of AI and what role might video play? Because you've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about this coming back to our LinkedIn dialogue and discourse. Where I think it goes, because people on average, this is not going to be fair, but people on average are kind of lazy, right? We want to push as much into automation, as much to the machine. We want to offload as much as possible. And what we're going to wind up doing is producing a lot more noise. I talk a lot about digital noise and digital pollution. Noise is just benign, right? Mm -hmm. Sheer volume of stuff like, oh my gosh, I left my inbox unattended for, you know, five hours and now look at it. Um, you know, look at all my lit up notifications. I pick up my phone. There are 47 new text messages. What kind of group chat did I get into? All this is just a sheer volume of noise. In addition, though, layered into this digital experience that we're increasingly dwelling in longer and more on any given day, accelerated, of course, by the pandemic, but everything today is inevitable. It would have all, we would have been here regardless, right? When we talk about digital transformation in the banking experience, it was all inevitable, but just a lot of stuff got pulled forward a lot more quickly. So it, as, as this gets more digital, because customers prefer a lot of this stuff to be done at a distance, um, and we, go, we don't get to dictate what gets done digitally. The customer does ultimately uh, based on capability. There's also digital pollution. And this is uh, the frustrating on one level. It's just annoying. On the other end, it's dangerous, right? And yeah. so certainly in a, in a high compliance, um, secure, private, conservative, appropriately so industry, uh, this idea of is this link safe to click? Is this attachment safe to download? Is this from who it says it's from? Is all cranked up. When you're dealing with people's personal financial information, the, the threat of the volume of pollution amid the noise further erodes trust. So mm. noise makes attention hard to get. Pollution makes trust hard to build. And as we equip the planet 
with internet access, with the ability to crank out more content faster and easier, and by the way, less differentiated because it's just being shot out of a machine, most people aren't going to go deep and get really good at, I'm gonna refer to it as playing an instrument, right? Interacting with the chat through good prompt, follow-up, et cetera. It's like playing an instrument. You, no one pays to watch someone who just picked up a guitar for the first time play the guitar. No one really wants to hear it because it's it's any of us could do that. It's us. Yeah. It's not differentiated versus someone who picks up this instrument and puts in the hours to get really good at it, has a creative vision for themselves, and it's realized through their interaction with this device, with this machine, with this tool. Most people aren't going to get there uh, with chat. And so we're going to crank all this additional noise into the environment. And in this case, attention will be even harder to get. It'll be more difficult to sort through all the stuff. And I think it, to the degree that people are not thoughtful, artful, and, and they don't add their own perspective, their own point of view, their own expertise, when they know what to offload to the machine and what not to offload to the machine to keep for themselves, trust is going to be harder, period. It's going to be harder because there's going to be no, more noise, more pollution. We've, we just see it around ChatGPT. How many invites to ChatGPT webinars have you seen in your social media feeds? And, you, and you're like, I don't think this person is qualified to speak on this topic. And how do I know and how can I judge? There's just so much noise here. And so yes. you as a service provider around financial services face the same thing. There are a lot of people making a lot of promises. And when we equip people with the ability to say a thousand times more stuff more quickly, it's just going to get even more difficult. The The point you're making around volume is one I think we should pause and ponder on for a bit. I'm going to take everyone back to the Gutenberg printing press. The Gutenberg printing press democratized thinking for lack of a better word. It allowed us to get thoughts in books and print those books at scale. Before that, though, thoughts, ideas were shared via conversation, via story. What we're doing right now, enter GPT, written word is becoming commoditized um, because there is a lack or has the potential to be a lack of perspective voice tone You're like oh well once again you can you can train you can prompt exactly and then and i even think about you know i've been working with my kids now with chat gpt uh my 12 year old my 10 year old my eight year old my six year old a little bit young but i'm wanting to introduce to them the capabilities that they're going to be growing up with and give them a jump start here my 10 year old daughter had a school project um, around the emerald ash borer that is destroying these ash trees. Had no idea about this, but she she did the research, and then she had to communicate the research to her peers in class, and she had a, different mediums in which she could do so. And I said, she wanted to write a book, a story, a journal. So I said, okay, let's go to chat GPT. She said, what's that? I said, just watch this. So we prompted and we prompted and we prompted we probably spent an hour prompting gpt to co-create a children's story around the emerald ash borer and within four hours through chat gpt and dolly we had a fully illustrated children's book that we printed hard you know hardcover everything through canva and i said 
And I told her, I said, you're 10 years old. You've now essentially written and published your first book. It took me 39 years to do that. And she, but you know what she told me? She said, dad, but you didn't have AI helping you. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. And I said, that's the lesson right there. It's There's this co-creation capability, but I said, the idea is came from your knowledge, the research that you did, and you were able to provide the perspective and work in tandem to create the output to communicate what you found to others in a very engaging way. My son had to do the exact same thing. He used it to co-create a presentation, but he had to deliver orally his presentation. I said, you can't get the machine to do that. So I understand where you're coming from, increase in content, increase in noise, but it's the, now it's that human perspective that I think that's the tip of the spear. That's how we cut through the fog to continuously provide clarity and to be a beacon, to be a guiding light. It all comes back to the human perspective, the human-centric point of view that elevates beyond the machine. What's your take on that? Uh, yes, And the key lesson in both, I love that you're working with your kids on this, and I love both of your examples, especially the presentation I'll get to in a minute because I didn't address the video portion of your prior question, and it's right there and presenting the material or presenting the ideas, owning the ideas, embodying the ideas, understanding the ideas well enough that you can speak articulately to another human being in a distinctly human way that reading the same words off a screen isn't going to do. Uh, We'll set that aside for a minute. But this idea of your daughter doing the work, interacting with the prompts, I want to I want to put two words in front of folks right now. One is curiosity, right? This curiosity of like, what do I need to understand about this thing? And there are probably a couple layers of why and what and where and when that kind of guided her thought around this. Like before I go deeper into curiosity and into the other one, which is curation, by the way, chat GPT, and I know that there's talk of uh, um Uh, general artificial intelligence that even supersedes this prompting dynamic. We'll just keep that because it's years away. Let's worry about that in a couple of months. Um, (laughs) uh, And some people might say decades, but you know, the people are pulling the, the timeline differently, but the prompted AI is useless without us. It just sits there waiting for someone to it's like a guitar. It looks nice maybe sitting over there hanging on the wall, but until someone picks it up and interacts with it, it's not really useful for its greatest purpose. Mm. And it's the same thing with the chat, right? And so it's the human curiosity to engage with it and drive it and to seek some level of understanding or expression or support of their existing ideas or whatever, like whatever the, so human curiosity drives it. And then human curation of what is it telling me that I like and I want to keep and I want to use in a different way and I maybe want to resequence it or I want to ask to prompt this and ask it differently. That's this kind of curation element. And so again, that's this human interacting with it Mm. in order to get something that, uh, 
satisfies their curiosity, reflects their personality and point of view through curation, through manipulation of the words to kind of say it the way I might say it. Yeah. Uh, because you can ask it to say, say the same thing, but do it more playfully, but it's still not going to nail you. I think we will get there, by the way, when this AI is now literally Ethan's personal assistant and it is read the all the emails I've sent over the past two years and the way I express myself in email, it can yeah. start writing things that sound more like me. Um, so that's one side of it. It's it's this the the curiosity of like what am I actually trying to do here and for what purpose and who is it for and all of this stuff and the curation to say what is it giving me that I want to keep. What is it giving me that I want to discard? What is it giving me that I want to have it give me a different way? Like th that's the kind of give and take that we need to do this in an effective manner um, in a way to give us something that's useful and unique and valuable to us and more importantly, the people we're trying to serve through that work. To the other side, and this is just a caution for people. I mean, you can, you can have it write emails. You can have it do uh, meeting summaries. You can have it do all kinds of different things for you. And I would just challenge people to this idea of, I need to learn this material and I'm gonna use, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rely on chat GPT to give me some of the feedback and fill in some of the blanks and stuff. But I need to stand up in front of a room full of my peers and express this in six minutes or 12 minutes or whatever the presentation was you need to understand it. And if you want to help other people in the future, you need to understand it. And so there is some manual work here if you want to continue to learn and grow yourself at something besides driving the chatbot. And I want to pause on that because let's come back to the two points you made, curiosity and curation. I've been really encouraging financial brand leaders to fall back to the days of being a curious kindergartner in the age of AI, looking at exploration, knowing I know nothing, essentially taking a Socratic approach to this. But the curation, I think about my daughter, she did the research on this emerald ash borer and she knew that the output from GPT wasn't 100% accurate. Oh, that okay, yeah, there's a lot there. So she was able to then go back with me and we were reprompting, reprompting. So curating, another maybe way of considering that perspective, editing, producing. Um, it does, you need to have that level of knowledge and expertise for co-creation. And then you take that to the next level, curiosity, curation, communication to be able to then thoughtfully communicate that idea. And the key here, and something I've been thinking about coming out of this you know, perceived banking crisis, it is confidence. To be able to confidently communicate confidence for the subject matter, and that's where my son comes back into play because with his presentation, he had 15 slides, all bullet points. And I asked him, how many minutes do you have to communicate that? He said about two to three. I said, no way. That's why we got into GPT to curate things down to literally give us that two to three minute deliverable. And then he spent his time practicing. But once again, he knew the material, he did the research. And I said, you have to go first in class to set the bar super high. And he did, but he wouldn't have had that if he wasn't confident in himself. And confidence, the Latin of that is essentially trust or faith in someone or something, in this particular case, the self, where does communicating confidence 
come back into play through mediums like video because I do see that there is no better way to confidently communicate confidence than with video. Maybe a podcast audio is a second to that, but video leads the way. Yeah, I'm going to go kind of a side side route here and get straight to that. Uh, one of the ways, so I, I do a lot of teaching. I do presentations. I do webinars, stage presentations, et cetera. And one of my favorite structures is like, uh, we call it's the bow tie funnel. We learned it from a gentleman that's featured in our book, Human Center Communication, a guy named Jacko Vanderkoy. And it takes the traditional funnel, sales funnel of, you know, awareness, interest, desire, action, tilts it on its side, and then commitment or the action or the purchase or whatever is in the middle. And then there's a whole nother uh, expansion side where we retain customers. They can, we continue to solve more of their problems, et cetera. So I lay out any, and you can map literally any business to this bow tie funnel. And so I, you know, I kind of walk through the various stages of moving people through. I position as it's a series of conversions, not just the big commitment conversion in the middle of, you know, yes, I will, uh, you know, move all of my assets under your management, but instead, you know, all these little yeses that we need to keep people in relationship with us over a long term, um, including through repeat referral business, et cetera. Um, and then, then we, then we move the conversation to points, what we call points of friction and failure. Right? Where do things slow down? Where do people tend to stop? Where do people get confused? Where do you seem to have um, indecision emerge? Um, where do you lose attention or you can't build enough trust or you can't generate enough confidence? And you know, you get some head nods and you get some feedback. It's like, well, this is a point, you know, like I, you know, I can set a lot of appointments, but you know, my no-show rate, for example, is a little bit higher. People will take that first appointment, but they tend not to engage and take those next two or three steps, you know, leading up to a bigger commitment. And when you look at all of the points of friction and failure, they are all human issues. They are all emotional issues. And by emotion, I don't just mean like, you know, openly sobbing or screaming, uh, you know, and shouting in joy or excitement. I just mean like this, the, the, the trust issues, the confidence issues, the, I hear what you're saying, but I don't quite like the way you said it. It doesn't inspire me or I don't feel like you're sincere about it. And all these other judgments that humans are constantly making about one another subconsciously. Yes. Anyone listening to this episode has an opinion about me based on my pace of speech, the way that I, you know, the way that I respond to you and all these other things. And they, and they, sometimes it'll become conscious, but very often it's subconscious. So the reasons people don't move forward with us in a commercial relationship are human issues, they're emotional issues, and ultimately to, to double back on what you just said, they're communication issues. Because communication is at two layers. We all know the, the truism, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and this comes down to the idea that every single social judgment is made on warmth and competence. Warmth is motivation, intent, sincerity. Do you seem to believe what you're saying? Do you seem to understand me or do you seem to want to understand me at least? And then competence is all the details, right? And so machines can help us with a lot of the details. You already did raise the fact that you know, um, I'll just say it this way, a calculator that's right 95% of the time is not very useful. Mm. We can't take output from something and say, oh, I feel pretty good about it, you know, when we're dealing in these types of financial issues. And so, right. um, you know, that the competence piece matters, but this, in any piece of communication, in any exchange, that warmth piece, that that subconscious, sensory, emotive, confidence, trust, assurance, enthusiasm, sincerity, gratitude, concern, you know, as a parent, you've said something like, listen, sweetheart, 
It's not what you said, it's how you said it, right? The, the way that we say things matters. Um, and so, and, and we all know within seconds of meeting someone for the first time, like you, so you're at a coffee shop with a colleague or something, someone walks by, your colleague knows the person, you meet them, you know, you stand up, you shake hands, you greet them in some basic way, and you have a feeling about that person. Mm. And maybe they didn't even say anything except nice to meet you, right? You have a feeling about that person. And that feeling guides your thoughts, conscious and subconscious. 95% of our mental activity is subconscious. That's to say it's sensory and emotive, not conscious and rational. 95 to 98%, depending on who you read. So these feelings that we have guide our thoughts. Sometimes we're aware of those thoughts. Sometimes we aren't. But certainly those thoughts, conscious and subconscious, guide the things that we do, the things that we say, the decisions that we make. And so our business outcomes as working professionals are dependent on the way that we make people feel. And so if you're communicating exclusively in digital formats, in faceless typed out text, you are not giving human beings the data the information that their brain is desperate for through millennia of evolution yeah. to make decisions about whether or not they can proceed with you in a confident, trusting manner. That's to say, if you don't have some video mixed into your communication when you can't be there in person, when you're stuck in digital, virtual, and online postures trying to build relationship and convey confidence and expertise and all these other things to encourage people to move forward, you need video to close that gap to satisfy a deep, evolved, millennia-old human need. I want to stay on one point here, and this is more of real-time material with the recent perceived bank crisis, how quickly that unfolded through the social media firestorm on Twitter. And from our research, a good number of financial brands, quote unquote, responded, but it was one communication piece. It might've been an email, it might've been a letter that our institution is okay but perception creates reality. What people are hearing and seeing and reading on social media, they're now feeling nervous What's subconscious level. I've been thinking about this for a while that this industry has a EQ gap. I'm still trying to determine why that is. And I might not ever figure that out but I would diagnose that there's a, an emotional intelligence gap within financial services, which leads to a communication gap. With that in mind, what can a leader do to increase their EQ? And as a result, trust would be the next thing that would follow that increase in EQ. Yeah, in that scenario, I'll just go back to the very beginning of this conversation, which is, being present, active listening. It's called reading the room, right? Like what is the tone in the room? And in this case, the room is the world at large or your community within the world at large. Uh, you don't have to speak for all banks or the banking industry. You need to speak about your community. This is your collection of stakeholders. Your employees need and want that confidence. Yes. Your uh, All the people that do business directly with you need and want that confidence. All the people who are impacted by your being in this community need and want that confidence. And so it's, it's a combination of reading the room, being present, listening, understanding, 
being curious about the way other people are feeling and why, asking them about it, or at least having, you know, your right hand uh, people bringing some of this community feedback, stakeholder feedback, market feedback in, and then coming up with a way to respond in a meaningful way. And, and certainly video can be a part of that. Video is you in person at scale. Video is you one-on-one with anyone who chooses to click play. People yes. are not putting on a video that you record to convey what you know, what you don't know, what you've heard, what you have confidence in, and what you're, what steps you're taking over the next couple of days or weeks uh, to to close some of the gaps and to to you know re-strengthen your already strong position in these particular ways, like the known known scenario. So communicating that as a human being, and I'll, I'll just draw a bad example. Actually, this is bad and good at the same time. That press conference, you know, with that with that business leader or that politician or that athlete or whatever who's in kind of a hot situation and they get up in front of the podium, got all the national and international media around them, like 55 microphones at the podium, and they say the words. And they say the words that were probably written, if not approved by a lawyer, and you know who's going exactly on script and who isn't. We can tell that immediately. This person is exactly on script and this person is a little bit off script, but they're, you know, getting the spirit of it right. You know, of all the people who are on script, because the people who really mean what they're saying are, are never off script. They're always on script and they're reading the exact right words in the exact right order and they don't believe a single one of them. Mm. And you know, you can just tell. You could tell even if they were speaking Mandarin and you don't. You could tell if, if they were speaking German and you don't. And so a leader's ability to get, let's just stay internal for right now. Let's just say that a company uses Slack. For internal communication, a leader recording a simple video at her or his desk saying, hey, I've heard from a number of you over the past two days. Uh, I know that you probably saw this in this channel. You probably saw it in that channel. Those are our official statements. I want to speak to you personally about what I've been hearing from some of you and some of the ways that I'm thinking about it, some of the actions that we're taking and some of the ways that your fellow uh, leaders here in the organization are approaching it and just speak to them. And yes, you can run it by, you know, uh, someone that you have for corporate communication to make sure that it's hitting the right points or whatever, but your ability to get in front of people and say things that you actually mean to be honest about what you know and what you don't know, um, obviously in a legal and compliant manner and not, not going too far astray, gives people a piece of communication that they can feel. I feel that you believe what you're saying. I feel like you have a good handle on this situation. I feel like you're clear about what is going on and what should be going on. I feel all of these things and it inspires in me a, a bit of confidence that I didn't have reading the statement. And that confidence coming back to the Latin word, that's the faith, that's the trust in the leader, in the organization, specifically if it is addressing the pains that people have because you're aware. And I liked what you said about reading the room and the room could be the community at large, it could be on a much national or even a global scale of the way that things are happening. And it, requires a different approach and I think an awareness at a leadership level of how we communicate with our teams historically, but perhaps 
learning from the communication styles of other what I would call digital first leaders that like a in the banking space like a Jill Castilla or um, a, a Greg Martin a few others who have I'm not gonna say that use the word master but who are already practicing digital communication before the current crisis that whenever the crisis hit they didn't change their style or their cadence they just changed their message to be more relevant and practical to the pains of the people at the present moment. I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier, offloading or elevating work. Where are the potential dangers thinking about AI once again, that could be an impediment or a roadblock or create more pain for us as leaders, as opposed to, helping others. Yeah, you already raised one of them and it certainly got better with GPT-4 and it'll get better with 4.5 and better with 5 and better with 5.25 or however, you know, nuanced they get around it. Accuracy is definitely up, but if you read some of the initial stuff over the past six months, let's say, you'll read about hallucinations and it's this idea that these machines are giving you responses to your prompts as if it is just matter of fact. It has no sense of truth or accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a, that's why your daughter had to do the research. That's why I would suggest that anyone who, whose reputation is important to themselves yeah. vets this stuff and understands it and uses these tools to supplement their thought, not replace their thought. I know I'm bridging into a new idea there. So one of them is a lack of citation. Another one is a lack of like, you don't really know where it's coming from. Like, why do you think this is true? Or where can I go read more about this? It's one of the reasons I'm still very hesitant about, you know, a Bing or a Google replacing like a feed of, of the most accurate responses where you get to judge who is saying this, how valid do they look? Is this a legitimate website or not a legitimate website? Like these interactions strip all of that away. And it's like, here is a response to your prompt. And it's stated as a matter of fact, and it may or may not be true and maybe yes. all true, except for this one little crux that is the key to the whole thing. So when you have this 3% that's false, the whole rest of it falls apart, but you don't know because you haven't done the work, right? So there's like, it's that. I want to bring up another one though that's a little bit further off than, than this stuff. It's another big caution I have is in theory and certainly in reality in the not too distant future, you will be able to have a business communication problem. You'll be able to go prompt this thing and say, hey, I need a, a way to express these two ideas include this element, include that element, and then you can have it probably point straight over to another thing because we, we now have API access in and out of chat GPT. It's in Zapier now, like it's about to get super wild. And so yes. it's gonna write over to the generative design thing that can do images and videos, assuming that it has enough training data of you you could have a video of yourself saying these things that you never really even consciously thought. You were just clever enough to ask the machine to generate these ideas and put those words into your own mouth. Now, mm. right now, the tech is laughably bad. This like like fake video, like people are faking first names, for example. So they're reading a canned video and then they're relying on the machine to make a thousand different versions to say, hey, Bobby, hey, Mary. Hey, Sue, I'm just here to blah, blah, blah. Like the gap between like the fake and the real is laughably bad. The lip sync sucks. It's like, it's terrible. 
but it will become very convincing very soon. And so my caution around that piece is, and we don't have an official statement on this as a, as a brand and as a company, but I am reflecting a lot of our values here. A, that is unnecessary. B, it's a disservice to you if you're legitimately building a relationship-based relationship business. The most important filter around this, it's not that you shouldn't use synthetic video. It's that you should not do something synthetic and, and present it as if it's something else. Anytime you're operating in deceit, where you're trying to make something appear or look or seem like something it isn't, I find that fundamentally problematic. You can call me old fashioned. I think even if humans can't detect whether a machine made this or a person or a person made this, they know what's for them and what isn't. And so this idea, because the reason you want to fake all this stuff is essentially to do it at scale. And when you're doing things at scale, it's, it's approaching spam in a new channel, frankly. Yeah. And so there, and there's already a solution for this. We're providing it for banks and uh, lenders and all kinds of people. It's, you we call them evergreen videos. You record the video once. And then it's used for every person who reaches this point in the, in the loan process. For example, we have a video here. This is text. This is text. You had a video here, video here. And we can do it for hundreds or even thousands of sales producers at a time um, through, this, through this interface. But we're not saying pretend like this is for one person. We're not faking right. things around it. It's, it's, it's you as yourself being of service and value, being relevant to what you know, where the person is in the journey, what they often face is that, hey, now that this has happened, you might be wondering about this, that, or the other thing. If you're like most of the people I deal with, I want to give you a couple tips and pointers. And of course, all my contact information is down below for a conversation. And so the scale that the fake video provides really isn't even necessary. And I would, I would caution, and I'll stop, I'll caution anyone from walking too far away from getting comfortable and confident in their own skin speaking to other people, whether it's through a webcam or whether it's in person or whether it's over the phone, that's your strength. Yes. That is you. That Like you are your own best differentiator. You're the reason people say yes. And it comes back to confidence and some of these other themes. And so your ability to present ideas, deal with ideas, to be present with people, to lead your, lead a conversation through your curiosity and, and keep steering it through active listening. This is your strength as a human being. It's not in getting clever and finding ways to scale mediocrity. What you say, what you do. And I think even now it's what other people see and perceive around what you say and what you do. As we start to wrap up, next step, one small thing that the dear listener can do next to maximize growth by, by thinking about the way they communicate, by the thinking about how they can utilize video to differentiate themselves in the age of AI, what's the one small thing they can do today? I know, yes, for one, I'm going to give two and one of them is self-serving, but it's actually a benefit to other people too. First is if, you, if you're reading about this, if you're hearing about it and you're seeing all the people offering trainings and courses and stuff around this, there's no better teacher than practice. Yes. Whether it's helping your kids with their schoolwork and experience this that way, the way that you described it, I love that example. So I doubled back on it. It's there are free accounts. You don't even need to pay for anything right now if you don't want to. Get in there and mess around. You're going to ask some clumsy questions and get some silly responses. You're going to ask. You're going to find that you're like 
you're uncomfortable doing it. Just like if you picked up a guitar and you've never played it before, it's going to feel awkward. It, you can hold it. You can make some noise with it, but it doesn't feel like you're making like that's where everything starts. So if you're not doing this start and then specifically this idea of building human connection across this increasing digital divide, bombbomb.com slash free book. Steve and I, Steve's my longtime friend and team member, our CMO at BombBomb. Uh, we co-authored a book, it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller called Human Centered Communication. At its one year anniversary, we decided it was more useful to the world being absolutely free. So our designers enhanced the digital copy. We made it absolutely free at bombbomb.com slash free book. And there are 11 other experts in a, from a variety of fields, but really in the, kind of in the sales, marketing, and leadership and culture zone, speaking into this idea of how do we truly connect and communicate as we become more digitally distant, as attention gets harder to, to get and trust gets harder to build. Two great action plans to guide people forward. Play with it. Practice. Fail. Maybe you get a little bit frustrated, but know it's all part of the learning experience. And then second... Get the book. If someone wants to continue the conversation that we've started, Ethan, what's the best way for them to reach out, say hello, and connect with you? Email me, Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at bombbomb.com, or hit me up on LinkedIn. And the last time I was on this show, I had a number of people hit me up on LinkedIn. You have a very engaged and trusting and appreciative group of people that enjoy what you're producing, and I'm privileged to be a part of it. So last name is spelled Butte, B-E-U-T-E, uh, Ethan Butte on LinkedIn, or Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at bombbomb.com. Connect with Ethan, learn with Ethan, grow with Ethan. Ethan, thank you for the kind words as well. It's why we do what we do to help other people maximize the, their own growth as a leader, as a marketer, as someone in lending at their bank, credit union, or fintech. And thank you for being a part of the experience. This has been a fun, fun, fun conversation today. A joy. Loved it. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.